this is episode number 83 with the owner of Schwartz and Reader Advisors and CPA extraordinaire, Michael Reader. Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Before we drop into the episode, a quick message from our sponsor, 919 Marketing. I've worked with 919 Marketing for years, and there's no one I trust more with my marketing needs in any of our businesses. I've worked with them in our franchise businesses, in my consulting business. I've worked with them on the franchisor side, and I love working with 919 because they take the time to listen. They take the time to understand what it is I'm looking to accomplish through my marketing, who I'm trying to reach, and then they help me put a plan together to do just that. I've worked with tons of marketing companies over the years, and too often, it's a one-size-fits-all approach, but not with 919 Marketing. In addition to that, they've developed some amazing technology called 919 Insights, franchising's first and only AI-powered analytics platform. With 919 Insights in place, 919 Marketing can identify the exact topics that matter to your franchise candidates and provide the specific roadmap to help your brand become the highest ranking and most trusted resource when they're searching for answers. So if you're ready to start getting better results from your marketing, and if you want a free demo of 919 Insights, reach out to Graham Chapman at 919-459-8157 or send them an email at gchapman at 919marketing.com to schedule your free demo today. So whether you're a franchisor, a franchisee, or just getting started in your first franchise business, make sure to check out 919 Marketing and tell them West Barefoot sent you. Now, let's drop into the episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for dropping into another episode with me here on the Path to Freedom podcast. My guest today, Michael Reeder, is a wise, wise man. And for any of you business owners out there, for anyone out there considering starting a business, chances are you have questions, you have had questions around how to structure your business entity, tax implications, accounting, you know, all the messy stuff that unless you went to school to be an accountant, you probably have no idea how to handle. And it probably gives you a migraine just thinking about it. Well, thank God for people like Michael Reeder, because that's exactly what he specializes in. Michael is the owner of Schwartz and Reader Advisors, which is a CPA firm specializing in helping business acquirers right? So anyone buying a business, including a franchise business, uh, figure all of this out, right? Um, figure out the best business entity, you know, the right tax structure, and making sure that they're taking advantage of all the tax incentives that they can be. 
Uh, and as I mentioned, Michael does work with many, many franchise owners. That's how he and I connected. So you could say that he has a specialty in franchising as a CPA, and he is a wealth of information. So uh, in this episode, I talk to Michael about a lot of the questions that I know I tend to get from people that I'm working with when it comes to uh, the accounting, the tax, the business structure side of things. So a lot of good information here. And again, really appreciate Michael making time to drop in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. So let's go ahead and drop in with my good friend, Michael Reeder. All right, what's up, Path to Freedom listeners? Very excited to bring Michael Reeder onto the show. Uh, Michael is a CPA. He's with uh, Schwartz and Reader Advisors. Michael and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the years, um, and he's been a, a trusted advisor to me and a lot of the people that I've worked with uh, that have gone on to invest in franchise businesses. And very excited to have Michael come on the show today because he's going to have answers to questions that I know anyone out there that's considering getting into business for themselves has had, will have, etc. So, Michael, welcome. Thanks so much for dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Wes, brother, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, man. I'm, I've been looking forward to it. Now yeah. we're finally doing it. I know, I know. We're both pretty busy, right? So we've had a, had a, a couple of scheduling issues. I think most of them have been on my end, but um, here we How are. We we're, we're finally getting this recorded, so uh, ready to to bring it to the masses. But Hey, man, for, for those listening uh, that aren't familiar with you, just give us kind of a quick introduction and a little bit more about, you know, what you do, what your firm does and, and who you work with. Absolutely. So uh, to all of you uh, Path to Freedom audience out there, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, my name is Michael Reeder. I am a CPA. I'm an entrepreneurial CPA. Um, I I own a business called Swartz and Reader Advisors, and we're a CPA firm physically located in the greater Chicago area. But what we really are is a virtual CPA firm. We were becoming more and more of a virtual CPA firm before COVID. And then when COVID came, we pretty much just tripled down on becoming a, a virtual CPA firm. Even all of my Chicago clients um, you know, would prefer to do a Zoom compared to coming in, in person. And uh, so virtual that I've got, I, 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 have a, I, I have another property now here in Portland, Maine. So I'm, I'm coming to you live from Portland, Maine. And, um, and we have a niche as a CPA firm in the franchise industry and working with business buyers. So I have a, a nationwide network of franchise professionals that refer me their franchise buying candidates. And my process involves providing a complimentary consultation to these prospective buyers to answer any questions they have in the context of accounting, tax, entity structure, funding, financial projections, resale, financial statement, due diligence, mm -hmm. if it's a resale, item 7, 19, and 21 of the FDD as it pertains to their prospective business purchase. And, um, and several of these buyers, uh, after, after having the consultation calls with me, um, become my, become clients of my CPA firm. So I have several, several small business franchisee clients as my CPA firm clients all across the country. Um, you know, I, I now own, I now own the CPA firm that hired me out of college. My mentor, Barry Swartz, uh, he took me under his wing. He showed me the ropes. 
Um, and I became a partner in 2015 and I bought him out outright in 2019. Barry's still here working full time because he loves what he does and he doesn't know what he would do with himself if he didn't, if he didn't <laughs> have to work. But um, I, I love what I do. Uh, I'm a business owner myself um, uh, and, and I'm the advisor to hundreds of other business owners. I'm talking to buyers, talking to existing business owners, existing clients all day, every day uh, throughout the year. And, and I absolutely love it. it, it uh, there's, there's never a dull moment. So that's who I am professionally. And that's what I'm up to in the world. Um, I'm uh, married. Uh, my, my wife and I, uh, we have, a, we have a, a little girl. She's one years old. And um, when I'm not working, which is not often, <laughs> I'm working all the time, but it's gratifying because I'm, I'm working for myself. Uh, I'm a big Chicago Bulls fan and I'm a big Chicago White Sox fan. So basketball and baseball. Um, uh, the, I'm a big Bears fan too, but they're they've been really you know like you know crappy rate recently. So, but yeah, I've uh, been tough to root for the Bears for a yeah. while. Um, <laughs> so, so I love it, and, and thanks for for all the the background info and and the detail, and and so couple things I want to unpack there, right? I mean, first is I think it's very important the fact that you're a business owner yourself because all of your clients are business owners. So, you know, you've got a lot of insight into, you know, what business owners are, are dealing with, what some of the challenges are because you're a business owner yourself. Um, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you feel, you know, it, it gives you a big advantage in terms of being able to add value to your clients, the fact that you're a business owner as well absolutely absolutely Wes and it, it does because I know exactly what they're going through yeah. and nothing against you know accountants and CPAs out there that you know are that are that are on the payroll of a firm that they're not an owner of nothing you know that nothing against anyone um, but uh, it carries a lot of weight when you're a business owner advising business owners and we're going to get into this and in, throughout the whole episode um, but you know uh, accounting and taxes and tax planning is the, is the foundation of my professional relationship with my clients. Uh, but, but the, the value that I provide them goes so much deeper than just accounting and taxes and, 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 and bookkeeping. It's the advice that I provide. Uh, you know, it's just the overall advisory, the consulting as, as a, as a, as a business, as a trusted advisor and a business strategist that I bring to the table beyond just simple and not simple, but like, you know, accounting and tax, it goes way beyond that. It goes much deeper. And, and so much of that is because I, 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 I drink, eat and breathe being a business owner all day, every day myself. I'm, I'm living it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, I think it's important. And, and so that brings me to my next question, right? Cause you mentioned, you know, your firm that you now own kind of has a niche in, in franchising, right? It, a lot of your clients are franchise business owners. So, you know, what, what difference does that make? Right. And, and I'll give you an example, right. I own two different franchise businesses. Currently we have a CPA that we've worked with the entire time we've owned businesses. I would not say neither would he, that he is a franchise expert. You know, he has a, maybe a handful of other clients that, that also own franchise businesses, but that's not, that's not a niche of his what advantage do you have being an expert in franchising that that would would put you in a better position to add value to someone that owns franchise businesses or is looking to to own franchise businesses because i believe there is is definitely value like i know i've had to 
you know, kind of explained some things to my CPA in terms of, you know, why things are a certain way in a franchise business versus a business that we own independently. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, it's a great, it's a great question, Wes. Um, so first of all, with, with, with buyers, you know, my familiarity with the franchise disclosure document and yeah. the items within it are things that, you know, uh, a, a lot of financial professionals out there, whether they're CPAs, financial advisors, you know, the, the, the FDD is a big lengthy document, often more than 200 pages. It's a cure for insomnia. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but there are certain items in there that are, you know, fine, you know, that are financial related that, you know, mm -hmm. as you know, you know, a franchise attorney should, you know, always work with a, with, with a buyer when they're redlining the franchise agreement. And there's a difference between the FDD and the franchise agreement. The franchise right. agreement is the actual document that the, is the contract. But, um, you know, there are certain items in the franchise disclosure document that are, that are financial and number related. And, and I'm very familiar with them. So working with prospective buyers and, 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 uh, and targeting in on the item seven, you know, that shows the, the low and the high end of the investment of the initial investment and, what, and the different pieces of it, the item 19, right. Which is, uh, which are financial statistics of, uh, of existing franchisees in the system and which, and, and that's discretionary, meaning that the item 19 could be very robust and, 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 and it can have lots of data, lots of revenue samples of like the top performing franchisees, the bottom, the middle, et cetera, or the franchisor can decide to include nothing or it yeah. can be somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then item 21, the audited financial statements of the franchisor mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, um, and, and, and what are they telling the, 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 the reader of the, of the FDD. So very familiar with the financial aspects of the franchise disclosure document that's for buyers, right? Um, a, a fran like, so a proper, proper, um, proper treatment of a franchise fee for income tax purposes. Now, oftentimes here I'm the, I'm the bearer of bad news uh, because you know, you'll get a, and, and, and I have clients that are on all sides of like the, the tax position spectrum, right? Like clients that want to be ultra aggressive, ultra conservative, somewhere in the middle and, you know, and, and in accounting and taxes, and I'm sure we'll unpack this in, as part of the whole dialogue, Wes, um, you know, they're like, what's black, what's white and what's gray, right? Yeah, like, yeah. There's really not much that you can do in the black and white. And then in the gray, like, what can we do, you know, while optimizing the tax position while not raising any red flags, like what's left for interpretation, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, but a franchise fee is, is, is black and white. It's what's known as a section 197 intangible asset. And it needs to get capitalized as an asset on the balance sheet yeah. and, and amortized over 180 months or 15 years. And so, you know, to my aggressive client that, that just pays like a $50,000 franchise fee and they want to write off that $50,000 like in the year, um, you know, they're not really happy with me when I tell them that, but uh, a franchise fee is a, is a section 197 intangible asset. And even if the life, even if the life of the territory uh, is like, you know, five or seven years and they're going to have to renew it, it's still uh, for tax purposes, it's, it's amortized over 15, 15. years. Yep. And any, any unamortized amount with some sort of exit event, whether there's a sale or a disposition of the business, um, the unamortized amount would get, would, would, would be, would be part of the, the basis of the assets that are disposed of at the time, thus, uh, decreasing any capital gain or increasing any capital loss upon sale. So F the familiarity with FDD is a big, is a big, um, niche that I know a lot about compared to other accountants out there that are not niche in franchise. Like I am, um, you know, just I'm, I'm, I'm seeing franchise 
fees all the time with my clients. So just no proper treatment of a franchise fee compared to just an ordinary expense that you can just write off through expense. Um, and, um, and so, uh, my familiar, a big one here is my familiarity with the Rob C Corp. Uh, the, the Rob C Corp is very, uh, niche to the franchise world and the business resale world. Um, and so, uh, I, I am, I am very well versed in the Rob C Corp for my clients that go that route, not even just my clients that go that route for the buyers that I'm talking to that are debating, you know, that the biggest thing that we talk about West on the consultation calls that I have with buyers are entity structure strategy and funding strategy. And so those two topics are attached at the hip. And so, you know, Hey Mike, do I go Rob C Corp? Do I go LLC? Do I go S Corp? And let me pause right there to everyone listening. What is a Rob C Corp? So ROBS is an acronym for rollover as business startup, okay? And, and so what it is, is it's a way for uh, business, for, for, for people to use their retirement assets to fund their business and to use it for their business operations. And so it's got its pros and cons, just like everything else in, in, in business and life. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I bring awareness to are the, you know, I, I, I consider, you know, the ROBS C-Corp uh, along with the other entity structures with clients when they're going through this process they're dependent of, of, of determining how to fund their business. And so what it involves is you have to structure as a C corporation mm -hmm. and the C corporation gets its own retirement plan. And the retirement plan of the C corporation is the majority shareholder of the C corporation. And if the owner wants, and, and then, you know, depending on how it's structured, you can, you know, you can, you can pay, pay out salary there. You can pay dividends that majority go to the retirement plan. Um, you know, but there are certain caught, you know, there are certain tax implications when you're a C corp compared to uh, uh, another common entity, like an LLC or an S corporation. Uh, yeah. There are fees that are associated with the, the C corp robs uh, that need to be, you know, brought awareness to. Uh, and then exit strategy needs to be discussed. How do you get out of it? Like, how do you exit from it? How do you convert it from a C to an S? Everything. So very familiar with the Rob C. There are many CPAs out there that have never heard of it before. Yeah. Uh, and ones that do have a limited understanding. I know a very strong familiarity with the Rob Seeker. So those are things off the top, like on the surface that, you know, differentiate me from other CPAs when it comes to franchising. Yeah, those are great examples. And I, I was one of those uh, clients, like you mentioned, when I first found out that, oh, you mean we're not going to be able to write off these franchise fees for the year that we we paid them in? Um, and and so, you know, I, I share with a lot of people that I'm working with, I'm like, no, when you pay a franchise fee, that's actually an asset that sits on your balance sheet. Some people seem uh, pleasantly surprised by that. Other people seem uh, surprised, but not in a, in a pleasant way because they, they want the write off. And, um, yeah, the, you know, all of these are great examples, right? Where uh, another CPA that's not, you know, as versed in franchising just may not have as much familiarity with these things and may not be in a position to advise, uh, in the same way that you could. And, and it's interesting that you brought up the two most common topics that you talk about on you know, initial consultations with someone is funding strategies and entity setups, because those are obviously questions I get all the time as I'm working with people. And, you know, I've got, I've got a basic understanding of these things, right. And, and the pros and cons of different approaches, but you know, it's, it's why I love having someone like you that I can connect people I'm working with, with, because, you know, you're going to give them a lot more of a detailed understanding than I'm able to. Wes here. You may have noticed 
there's a franchising theme to this podcast. And that's because franchising has had a massive impact on my life. And it's the very reason I'm walking my own path to freedom. In fact, one of my companies is a franchise consulting company where I work with people to help them understand franchising and determine if it might be a good fit for them. And if it is something they want to explore, then I help them navigate the entire investigative process and ultimately find a franchise business that's a great match for them. You know, the fact of the matter is there are thousands and thousands of franchise businesses out there today. And like anything, there are good ones and there are bad ones. Even out of the many, many great franchise companies, not every one of them would necessarily be a good fit for you. You know, buying a franchise is a huge decision and you don't want to wing it. I've helped many people buy franchise businesses over the years, and my wife and I have bought and own franchises today, and we plan to keep investing in franchise businesses. I love helping people understand this process and help them find a business that's going to be a great fit for them and help them accomplish their goals and ultimately create that freedom in their life that we're all looking for. The best part of all of this is that my services are free to the people I work with. And while I do love to contribute to charities and other great causes, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm compensated by the franchise companies I work with when I introduce them to someone that ends up becoming one of their franchisees. It's very similar to real estate, but with franchises. I have the privilege of working with hundreds and hundreds of the best franchise companies out there across practically every industry. So I can be absolutely confident that when I recommend someone to look at a franchise company, I'm introducing them to a very credible and proven company with a solid business model and great support. So if you think you might be interested in learning more about franchising and seeing if it might be right for you, I'd love to speak with you. Get in touch with me by email at wes at path2freedom.com, path, the number two, frdm.com. And also check out my website at pathtofreedom.com, spelled the same way, where I've got a ton of resources, both franchise and non-franchise related, that will help you start down your own path to freedom. And of course, subscribe to and follow the podcast for more great advice about business ownership. And if you know anyone else that might be interested in speaking with me, please share this podcast with them. Thanks for listening to my shameless plug. Now let's drop back into the episode. One of the questions I was going to ask you was, you know, outside of someone doing a a rollover, the ROBS that you mentioned, because with the ROBS, you are required to to set up a C-Corp, right? There's not an option to have another business entity. And to your point, there are pros and cons in doing that. I've had some people opt not to do a ROBS because they did not want to have to to operate under a C-Corp. I've had others say, hey, look, I much rather prefer to tap into to these retirement funds uh, and not get hit with any tax penalties. And, and I'm okay with the, the structure of a C-Corp. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts? So outside of a C-Corp, if someone's doing, doing a rollover, is there a, a particular business entity that you feel is better suited for franchise ownership? Or is it really just on a case-by-case basis uh, you know, for the individual, where they are, and and what they're looking to do. The latter, Wes, you hit it on yeah. the head. Like case by case, it yeah. cannot be any truer because everyone's situation is different. When I'm having that conversation, when I'm having those consultation calls with buyers, talking about entity structure, strategy, and funding strategy, I'm I'm always getting 
context on three different buckets, right? Bucket one, what's the investment, right? Okay. Initial plus the first six to 12 months, bucket number one. Bucket number two, uh, what is the allocation of assets on the personal financial statement? Like cash, uh, non-qualified uh, accounts like brokerage accounts, retire mm-hmm. and qualified retirement accounts like 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, et cetera, TSPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then real estate, primary, second home, vacation home, um, investment properties, um, and then any other, you know, cash value uh, of, uh, of life insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, okay, like what are the different assets? Okay, that's bucket two. Bucket three, what's the household income and expense situation? All right, okay. uh, is, is the is the is the is the prospective buyer going to keep their corporate job right. and, and 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 invest in the business uh, that's a, a manager run model or a semi absentee? Mm-hmm. Uh, are they going to uh, quit their job or have they been laid off recently? And this is going to be an owner operator thing. Um, you know, and then, uh, um, and then spouse does spouse, like, do they have a spouse? Number one, if they do, does spouse, does the spouse work? Does he or she work or does he or she not work? Um, and then, you know, are, is there rental income, you know, so then that, and then also what is it like, what is their monthly cost of living? Um, and so bucket number three, household income and expenses, those three buckets, right? Investment, personal financial statement, assets, and household income expenses are all attached at the hip. And all three of them together, I get on you know a piece of paper, and and that and then I have all of the facts in front of me, and and those facts are unique to every different buyer that I talk to. And yeah. so what I talk to, like I may talk to buyer number one, and a Rob's makes a, a heck of a lot of sense for them. I may talk to buyer number two, and you know Rob's may not make much sense you know for them compared to like an, an LLC or an S corp, you know. Um, for buyer number three, you know, they may be a great candidate for an SBA, whether they do the SBA loan through the C-Corp Robs or through an LLC. Buyer number four may not qualify for SBA because they're, you know, they may be over liquid, like their mm-hmm. liquidity may exceed their the investment. I know that COVID, you know, the SBA scaled back on that a little bit, but then, you know, is it, is it an emerging brand? If it's an emerging brand, SBA may require more post-closing liquidity yeah. um, compared to, you know, more of a legacy brand. You know, if they have a bunch of equity in their house, what about a home equity line of credit? If it's a smaller, you know, like uh, if it's a smaller situation, what about setting up an LLC with a 401k plan, adding a participant loan, and then bar- and doing a 50, 000, a 401k participant loan, you can borrow the lesser of 50,000 or 50% of plan assets. So you can be your own bank for up to $50,000 on a 401k participant loan. And that's not a Rob, that's a 401k participant loan. So that's another way to leverage retirement assets without doing robs, um, you know, how much do they have in their, in, in their stock portfolio? They may qualify for a securities backed line of credit. Yep. Um, you know, how much cash do they have? Um, I was talking to this one buyer the other day and her and her uh, husband are real estate professionals, ultra successful. Um, they have, uh, you know, like, like their net worth is like, you know, 17 million and they've got like 5 million sitting in cash and they've got so much cash that their financial institution will just give them a line of credit under cash. Like that's great, you know, and so <laughs> that's so, great. But the way yeah. inflation's going right now, they may right. not get that yeah. offer for much longer. Um, yeah, they they ought to just stroke a check if they're they're uh, looking for a franchise, put that money to work instead of. But no, I mean it's 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 the answer I thought you would give, right? And you did a very good job of explaining why the answer is it it depends, right? It it really depends on you know, the individual or the individuals that, that, you know, are starting the business, where are they? 
you know, what is the investment of the business? What's their income situation going to look like as they start the business? Um, once you have all that information, then you are in a position to say, hey, here are the options that that would be available, right? And in some cases, there may only be one option. And in other cases, there may be multiple options, right? Like if you through working with someone and they realize that, yes, the, the rollover for business startup is the best option for me, well, then the only option they have for their business entity is the C-Corp, right? But you may lay it out for someone else and say, look, you could do an S-Corp, you could do an LLC. Here are the pros and cons of both. And then it's really up for them to decide. Um, and I, I think that's the way it should be, right? I mean, it's, it's the exact same as you know, when I get on the phone with someone, they're like, Wes, what's the, what's the hottest franchise out there? And I'm like, that's an, that's an impossible question to answer. It, it depends. Right. And there's all these things that we have to unpack and that I have to learn about someone before I'm in a position or even qualified to say, Hey, here are some franchise businesses that I think could, could be a good fit for you. Um, I got to ask you, Wes, how many times are you asked each year? Hey, Wes, I want to own a Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Uh, man, if I had, if, if I had like $5 for every time I've been asked that question, um, I'd, I'd be doing pretty well. I may you yeah. know be able to close down one of my franchise businesses or something, right. but, uh, and I've, I've pretty much just stopped trying to explain to people that Chick-fil-A is not in fact a franchise. It, it opens a whole can of worms unless it's like, uh, uh unless it's, unless I really need to go there with someone, I just kind of gloss over it. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, it's amazing how many people think that if they wanted to, they could go out and buy a Chick-fil-A franchise, which uh, we know is not the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a common one for sure. Um, hey, another question I had for you, cause I'm actually looking at, at doing this with one of our businesses that is currently an LLC. We're looking at converting it to an S corp. Um, how, how common would you say it is that, you know, it could make sense for someone to start a business, a business under one entity structure, but over time and as the business grows, it may make better sense to actually convert to a different business entity. Yeah. Great question. So, uh, what I love about the LLC structure, one of the great pros of the LLC structure is that it's a hybrid entity for tax purposes, yeah. which means that an LLC. So an LLC with one owner is known as a single member LLC. Mm -hmm. And by default, a single member LLC is taxed as a sole proprietorship by default, by default, an LLC with two or more owners is, is taxed as a partnership. So an LLC, default with one owner taxed as a sole prop two or more owners taxed as a partnership but at any point in time if not initially later on the llc can elect to be taxed as an s corporation or a c corporation and you know being taxed as a c corporation for the most part you know like unless you're a robs you know it doesn't make sense right um, it, but it makes a lot of sense to be taxed as an s corporation and so it's it's still when you when you make that 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 s corp election for an llc down the road um, it, you know, it's still an LLC for all intensive purposes, except that it's taxed as an S corporation instead of being taxed as either a partnership or a sole prop, like, you know, uh, like, which is what it's being taxed pre-election. And so S corporation tax benefits are all about self-employment taxes. 
Right. Self-employment tax is an is a terminology for it's another way of saying social security and Medicare taxes. Yep. It's 15.3% of net business income. If you're a sole prop or, um, or, or if you're a partnership and if you're, and if you're taking payroll, then it's, you know, it's essentially 15.3%. And so what that 15.3% it's, it's not income tax. Okay. It's a separate tax. And so of that 15.3%, 12.4% of it represents social security tax and 2.9% represents Medicare tax. And there's a cap on the social security piece. So every taxpayer out there, their first 147,000 of earned income, whether it's W-2 or it's, uh, it's active partnership income or active sole prop income, uh, it's capped out, I, I believe in 2022 to just each year, for I believe for 2022, it's 147,000. Okay. So 147,000 is where the is where the social security tax caps out at. So then after that, everything over and above, it's more 2.9% instead of the full 15.3. So the tax benefit of being taxed as an S corporation instead of a partnership or sole prop is when is when um, is when the 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 saving because when you're taxed as an S corporation, you take a salary. That's for right. keeping your profit, yeah, and you pay this—you pay the self-employment taxes on the salary piece, but the remaining S-corp profit, while it's still subject to income tax, it's not subject to self-employment tax. So, just in a very simple example, you have a hundred thousand dollars on a sole proprietorship or a partnership. You're paying income tax on a hundred thousand plus fifteen point three percent, so that's fifteen thousand three hundred in self-employment tax right there. And if you're S-corp in that situation, you take 40 or 50,000 as salary and the other 50 or 60,000 as S-corp distribution, you're saving 15.3% on 50 or $60,000. So you can be saving, you know, seven or $8,000 just in self-employment taxes alone by being taxed as an S-corporation compared to a sole prop or a partnership. So that's the main tax savings in S-corporation versus versus sole proprietorship or partnership, which is what an LLC is by default, is self-employment taxes, not to be confused with income taxes, but it can still be a substantial tax savings. And well, it only makes sense to do it if you're making money. If you're not making yeah. money, then there's that's, no benefit. That's why it doesn't make sense to do it probably year one, right? right. Or, or at least as you're as you're starting the business, it's, it's like you said, once you get to the point where the business is, you know, really making some good income, uh, so, so my, so thank you for walking us through that. Um, cause this is fairly common, I feel like, and like I said, we're going through this process and, uh, in our businesses currently, uh, one of the things I've been told by our CPA is, you know, when you elect to get taxed as an S corp, you have to pay yourself a salary. You have to pay yourself a reasonable salary. Is this one of these gray areas that you were referencing earlier? So let's say, I mean, it, I, I don't know. It's I, I, I know it's probably tough for you to say, right? But let's say my business uh, nets $300,000 a year. Is it is it reasonable to say, you know, hey, we have a $50,000 salary. And so that the extra $250,000 and profit, you know, whether that's paid out through distributions or bonuses or, or whatever, would not be subject to that uh, self-employment tax. Is someone going to, is the IRS going to look at that and be like, nope, no way, that's not reasonable? Or, or would that not raise any red flags? It's like, there's a lot to unpack here. So I'm glad yeah. you brought this up. So uh, like, uh, this is where, you know, like, uh, it, it's about being 
tactical. So this is definitely gray area. The, the reasonable salary of an S-Corp uh, shareholder who's materially involved in the business is the epitome of gray area, okay? Yeah. And so uh, the first thing that I would say in this situation, I would say, okay, all right, so the business nets 300,000 before owner's compensation. So with that being said, is this business, is this a, um, is this a solopreneur where it's like a real estate agent that the only thing that that real estate, like that S-Corp, that, that the only thing that that S-Corp is doing is, 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 is where the real estate agent is reporting their commissions through it. And they just, and with, and if that person were to just decide to like go to Hawaii for six weeks, then no one's selling or buying houses. No one's working. That business only operates when that solopreneur is working it. So like that's one scenario, or is it a scenario where it's a business that has man that has employees that has like a layer of, you know, there's the owners and the owner spends his or her time, you know, maybe like 10 to 20 to 30 hours a week, you know, um, but then there's also a layer of management and there's a layer of, of, of employees. Um, and so if it's, you know, so um, I would imagine uh, your business West is more of the latter. It's, you're not, it's not a solopreneur. It's a, it's a business that you own and you have, uh, you have a manager or managers or employee. And employee. Is that fair to say? Yes, we could go to Hawaii and the business is going to going to keep keep running income will, will keep coming in. So, yeah, it's it's more of the latter and and what we're looking at, you know, for ourselves in terms of taxing like an S corp. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Because ultimately an S corporation who's a shareholder who's materially involved in the business wears two hats, okay? They wear a shareholder hat. So as a shareholder they want to get a return on their investment in the form of profit distributions, but they also wear an employee hat and they need to, and they, they need to get paid, you know, a, a reasonable salary that reflects, you know, their time working the business as an employee. And so in that first example of the real estate agent, you know, so it, like where it's a solopreneur situation like that, I think the reasonable test is around, you know, 50% of net income before owner salary has to go to salary because okay. it's tough to justify taking less, but, you know, obviously you want to find every now we're now there, there, we need to talk about retirement plan too, because that adds a whole different layer. Um, but, um, but in, in, in the situation that's more in alignment with yours, if you have, if you can go to Hawaii for six, I always, uh, can you, can you go on vacation for six weeks and is the business still operating? Then in my opinion, in my professional opinion, as a CPA, that gives you justification to go to give a salary lower than 50% of net profit before owner salary. And so then, then that's where then the reasonableness now goes to, okay, now in this situation, uh, let's say that, you know, it's 300,000, okay? And, and, and we're talking about, okay, do we go 50,000 W2, 250,000 K1 profit? And so I would say, all right, in this situation, uh, you've got managers, you've got employees that are running the business when you're not there. If you were to go out into the market and hire and like, like what you do in like the 10 to 20 hours a week that you're working the business, would you be able, like, if you were to go out and like hire someone off the street and train them and have them do what you do in those 10 to 20 hours, what would you pay them? I think I would pay them 50,000, you know, then in, in my opinion, I think that 50,000 is reasonable. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So there's, that, there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of gray area and it again it's it, you know it all comes down to a case by case basis right and 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 that's why it's important right to because this is one of the other things i wanted to ask you but it, it's important that you because i think a lot of people are like hey do you do you do you have work with a cpa they're like well yeah you know i have someone that does my taxes every year 
it's like, okay, well, I've learned there's a big difference between having a CPA that you work with and having someone that does your taxes every year. Like if you have a good CPA and if you're being proactive and working with them, you're strategizing, right? You're looking at what's coming up. You're looking at the future and you're having these types of conversations to say, hey, how can we take advantage of every tax incentive that we possibly can as business owners? And, and what do we need to put in place? What do we not have in place that we could? Um, so, I mean, and that's something like we were not good with this when we first started owning businesses and we're really trying to get better at it as being more proactive and working strategically with our CPA because it's one of the big reasons many people, you know, it's one of the things that's attractive about business ownership, right? Is there are a lot of tax benefits, tax incentives for owning your own business. You know, if your CPA is guiding you the right way, you're not doing anything illegal. You're taking advantage of incentives that the government's put in place because they want to incentivize people to, to go out and start businesses. But, you know, I'm curious, what are two questions for you? And again, we've already established so much of this is, you know, on a case by case basis, right? But as as broadly as you can, you know, first question is, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people make when they start businesses? Like from, from a, you know, entity structure standpoint, from a, you know, tax standpoint, not having themselves set up appropriately, you know, assume they start a business and they really have not proactively consulted with a good CPA. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see? And, and so like, if you start working with someone that's a couple years into their business, what are some of the things that you have to come in and usually help them clean up? Yeah, absolutely. Great, great question there. And this is, and, and this goes, you know, I'm going to go into, you know, like I'm going to demonstrate here how I'm more to my clients than just the tax guy, right? Yeah. Like, the tax guy and the bookkeeper, because like, but like, but starting there, starting there, the biggest mistake that I see so many small business owners make, and I have empathy for them because I get it mm -hmm. because small business owners are wearing multiple hats. Yeah. They're working, you know, crazy hours. Um, it's gratifying because it's for themselves. Um, but then, you know, they want to spend, you know, when it comes time, you know, they want to spend time with family, you know, like everyone's, you know, after a long day, you want to relax, spend time with family weekends, totally get it. But the biggest, one of the biggest problems that I see in like the tax accounting realm of it all, because um, there's so much more to business, by the way, as you know, there's so much more to business than just accounting and taxes. It's, it's a key pillar, right? Like the financial, like the CFO hat is like a key pillar. Clients not taking their bookkeeping seriously. Yeah, there's so many small business owners. Bookkeeping is this thing that needs to get done because they got to file taxes and it becomes this. It's always like this fire drill without a bucket each year around tax time to get like the 12 months of bank statements, you know, punched up into the QuickBooks and send it over to the account so they can prepare the taxes only to do the same thing next year. I've been there. Yep. 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 And, and so, and what, so have I as a bit, I mean, I'm an, I'm an accountant, you know, and like, you know, like, I mean, I've been doing this for like, you know, 11, 12 years now, but in those early years, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm no, you know, like I had like, and that's why like I've been here, you know, lived it just like you, just like your audience. And so uh, the having a set of books, regardless of your industry, regardless how big your business is, solopreneur, you know, a, a, a master franchisee, anywhere in between, um, your books are the foundation, uh, uh, an accurate set of books. So getting your accounting system, you know, set up, getting your accounting internal control, like strong and, and, and functioning from day one 
is so foundational because you can't have, as a business owner, you can't have any substance, any substantive conversation in the context of, okay, tax planning is number one. Okay. Like mm -hmm. tax planning, huge. Okay. But forget about tax planning, like put tax planning over here. What about, you know, a, a CFO related conversation that's focused more on cash flow and profitability? Like taxes is part of that, right? Mm -hmm. But like overall sure. cash flow and profitability. And so you can't have any sort of advisory conversation in the context of tax planning, cash flow, profitability, if the books are always six to 12 months behind, or if the books are always a mess, if the banks are never reconciled and this and that. And so, um, you know, understanding that the bookkeeping is the foundation of just the overall strategic planning in all contexts, right? Like tax planning, profitability, cash flow. Uh, like and to take it seriously from day one, um, as opposed to like what happens. And it's not because people like you know it's it, um, it's it's just because people are busy with life, and I totally get it. But it's just something that if business owners can understand on day one, it's not going to guarantee their success, but it's going to set themselves up for increasing their chance that much more of being successful because they their books are this management tool that they can use to like you know make make decisions to hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, if you don't know your numbers, you know you're kind of shooting in the dark. And, you know, I, so I, I agree. And like I said, I've, I've been there, right. Um, you know, I tried to do the QuickBooks for one of our LLCs for like a year and a half before I finally took my own advice that I give everyone I work with, which is, look, if you're starting a business to your point, having accurate books that are up to date is hugely important. However, it is never going to be the best use of the business owner's time. Mm -hmm. Outsource it, bring someone in that knows what the hell they're doing and, and has the time to do it. But, but to your point, like setting yourself up in the beginning, having that foundation, not only is it, is it key to, to really running your business in a smart way, going forward, but it's also just easier, right? If you set it up in the beginning before there's a whole lot happening and you get those systems in place or your team or whoever's doing it, get that in place in the beginning. It's a lot easier and a lot less time consuming than like I, I had to bring in an accounting company. They spent, geez, probably three months getting me called up, right? That was not cheap to, to have them get me called up. And now they just, they handle it every month, right? And so we're, we're up to date and, and um, you know, it's, it's no big deal, but if I would have just done that from the very beginning, it would have cost me less money and, and not been as much of a headache as it ended up being for me, uh, you know, to get the right systems and processes in place. So but you um, figured it, but you, at least you figured it out, you know, and because yeah. a lot of business owners don't, and, and so it's uh, there are different factors that go into, you know, like, there are like there are different factors that go into play other than bookkeeping system as to why businesses fail and why businesses like go on to scale and thrive. But a common denominator amongst businesses that fail, uh, I you know bet dollars of donuts that a common reason why they fail is because like they're they're not really taking their books that seriously. Yeah. And, and a common denominator amongst businesses that thrive is that they're like you know they're never you know bumbling and stumbling about the books being like you know like three to six months behind and stuff like that. Like they're like they're, they're they they know their numbers. So yeah, you brought up so many things like what's like, and, and like you just, like you brought, I mean, like, so like just, uh, I mean, what you just brought up right there that was really important about and another thing about like, you know, business owners that, you know, it's very, like very important to like, you know, know going into it and if not going, you know, learn it sooner than later is 
you know, working on the business work versus working in the business and progress, not perfection. And, you know, trusting your team and not micromanaging and to not get caught up, you know, don't trip over dollars to save nickels, as they say, mm-hmm. like, and it's not easy to do. Like, I mean, I was a very technician dominant personality. And so like, that's a plug there for the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, you know, yep. where like, it's a great book. Um, and so, but so many of uh, the E-Myth, you know, the E-Myth as in the entrepreneur myth, so many you know, people think that business owners are entrepreneurs. And while we are, you know, but what we really are, like, it, like, uh, like we also have, you know, like every, every business owner has inside him or her, you know, the technician persona, the person actually doing the work, the yeah. manager persona, you know, the, the person that's managing the people doing the work and the entrepreneur, the visionary, the one creating the different like revenue streams and, 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 uh, and, and opportunities. And so, um, you know, another thing to avoid is to like not get stuck in the mud on the little things as like, do you own a business or do you own a job? Do you own a business or do you own a job? And there's a reason why so many businesses fail to sell or they sell for much lower than the seller was anticipating. Yeah. Because many business owners out there, they own jobs. They don't own businesses. Like the seller like is doing everything. And when they leave, you know, who's going to do everything? The buy- like buyers want recurring revenue. They want standard operating procedures. They want key employees in place. And like, those are things that drive the multiple of a business resale. And yeah. so um, do you own a business or do you own a job? And so if, if the business owner, if he or her are doing like all the little micromanaging things every day and like doing all like the working in the business every day and book, like when you were saying like you were doing your own books to a point and then you just like you brought in some other firm because doing your, like it's one thing to like understand how to run basic reports, like on your QuickBooks and how to like understand, like, you know, how to read an income statement, how to read a balance sheet. Like you want to know how to do those things when you're reviewing and having strategy sessions with your CPA, for example, but to actually do the bookkeeping, the day-to-day yourself, maybe you got to do it for the first six to 12 months while you're in startup. Um, but that's one of the classic definitions of working in your business and your time, like, your point, like your time, Wes, as a business owner, my time as a business owner like, is spent doing other stuff. That's more high level. That's more business development. That's, you know, surrounding, you know, building the team and stuff like that. So I yeah, mean, that, that no one else is going to be able to do, right. I mean, right. there's people out there that they specialize in putting data into QuickBooks and, you know, running your financial reports every single month. So, you know, makes total sense to me that that's a a common mistake you see is people not taking that piece seriously. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, building your business so that you can sell it. I've seen, I've seen franchise owners that have been in business for seven, eight, 10 years, get to a point where they're ready to sell. And they just like come up with a, an asking price out of thin air and, (laughs) You know, because I've worked for franchisors doing franchise sales and I'd have, you know, a franchise owner come to me and be like, hey, Wes, I, I want to sell my franchise. Do you think you can, you know, help help me find a buyer? My first question became, OK, well, you know, are your financial statements up to date and what is your asking price and where did you come up with that number? And all too often you would realize that the number was pulled out of thin air and their books were two years out of date. And so it was like, I'm not even touching this until you get your house in order, like get your books caught up. Let's look at your numbers. Let's see where your business is. And then let's come up with a realistic asking price. Otherwise there's a lot of people that are going to waste a lot of time. If you're trying to sell a business with outdated books and you've 
pulled a number out of thin air for for your asking price. So um, that makes sense. Any other any other kind of common mistakes that you see people make outside of you know not taking the the bookkeeping piece as seriously as they should? Yeah. So not taking the bookkeeping piece seriously, um, and just um, uh, not taking the time to effectively communicate with their team. Um, okay. One, like for like bookkeeping and tax planning and, and I'm a CPA, right? Like, you know, vital part of any business. But in my opinion, the most important thing as a business owner is to uh, is to create culture at your company where people like to work and and you reduce turnover. So just understanding that um, if you're in any sort of you most likely have, you know, if you're not a solopreneur, you most likely have an employee or a couple of employees or multiple mm-hmm. employees and and just, you know, taking the time to, you know, communicate with them, get their feedback on things. Um, so like, like get what makes them tick. Cause not everyone, you know, is motivated by money. Do people want to make more money? Of course, but people also want, you know, to feel empowered at work. They want, they want autonomy, you know, title to them matters and stuff. And so um, just communicating with your team and, and, and putting in the time to do that is, you know, like you're going to like, uh, as a business owner, just being like, like accepting the reality that you're going to have to just hire, fire, hire, fire, hire, fire is just the normal thing of life, knowing that people are going to quit, people are going to have to get fired. But like, you know, there are but like knowing that there are good people out there. And it's just a matter of finding them. And when you do find them, do what you can to what I like to say, put, you know, put golden handcuffs on them, right? Like they still may leave. But hey, you know what, pay them. If you find some good people, pay them a little bit above market. Give them some nice benefits, um, you know, give them profit sharing, um, you know, like uh, uh, just uh, do what you can to reduce turnover because in the macro, if you can reduce, if you can create good culture and take care of your team, that's going to reduce turnover and that is going to accelerate your growth because when you all of a sudden, like when a key employee leaves you, uh, then, you know, you most likely have to go in there and like hold down the fort until you find someone else and that's going to yeah. start your growth. And so it's just dealing with people like it's a, like being a business owner is like it's in the relation, like, you know, a relationship, like, you know, just like you're in a relationship with your significant other, just like you have a relationship with people in your personal life, like, you know, uh, being a bit like you're in the relationship business, like with your if you have business partners, you know, employees, customers, vendors, clients, etc. Like it's the relationship business dealing with people. And if you have a tough time dealing with people and you want to be a business owner, you you either you either got to like switch it up or you got to bring someone on board that is a great people person. Definitely. Yeah. It's a great answer. I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Um, You know, any business where you're going to have people on your team, finding and keeping good people is going to be the single biggest challenge and the most important thing, you know, that's going to have an impact on, on your success. Um, So, so kind of, you know, shifting gears a bit here, right? We talked about some of the the biggest mistakes that you see people make when it comes to, um, you know, their accounting, their their tax strategies. What are what are some of the biggest tax incentives that you see people missing out on that they could have been taking advantage of, but they haven't been? You already gave us the example of, you know, once your business is making money. Uh, you know, if possible, set it up so that you're taxed as an S corp because you can save a significant amount of money through doing that. I'm curious if you have any other examples that are somewhat common. You know, I'm thinking, um, you know, vehicle write-offs, home off. I mean, these days, so many people are are working from home offices and stuff. I mean, 
just what what are a few examples off the top of your head where you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, you could have been writing this off, this off, this off, and, and people just have not been taking advantage of some of the incentives they could have. Yeah, great question. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, so first of all, being a business owner, like the, the internal revenue code is written for the self-employed. There are so many benefits that you get from a tax perspective. Now there comes with more burden of record keeping, you know, compared to being like a, a strictly W-2 employee of a company that you don't work for, or that you don't own. Yeah. But um, you know, you get like, there are a lot of things that you can uh, write off pre-tax as a business owner, as a self-employed in the eyes of the IRS that are not at your disposal if you're not self-employed. So if you're working from the home, then yeah, there is a home office deduction that, that you know, of course, like, like, like that's something that you always want to proceed with caution with because people like to get aggressive with it. So that's always an exercise in, you know, making sure that it's the, like, it's a legitimate amount. Yeah. Um, I get asked all the time, hey, Mike, you know, I work out of my kitchen. I work out of my like finished basement and I, uh, you know, and, and, as, and, and it's like one of those things, it's just like, yeah, I like, sent an email I, from the bathroom. Can I write right. off the square footage <laughs> of the bathroom too? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, what the IRS will say, you know, again, I'm just the messenger audience. So don't get mad at me, but the, the, the IRS will say the room ha- like it can't double as a personal room. So like yeah. you have to have an eye. Like, so if the IRS auditor, if you don't have it set up, if the IRS auditor were coming to your house, like in like a, in a week, you got to find that room that you could like, you know, build the home office. And it's not, you know, can't double as a personal room, like the kitchen, the living room and stuff. So like, yeah, home office, you know, if you're, if you have a vehicle and, and, and there, and you're using it for business use, you know, and like, you know, to be able to uh, break that vehicle down between business use and personal use, um, then absolutely. You can write off the vehicle business use component of it. Um, is is tracking mileage like if you have a vehicle that you use for both is tracking mileage for business use the the easiest or the best way to do that or or does it depend so you want to track mileage um uh like so you want to track mileage um and to get to when you when you're and, and that's a burdensome you know thing to do a lot of people don't want to do like the day-to-day of tracking it but you know if you were to get audited the irs auditor is going to want to see the, the like the mileage log and so there are two different ways to write off auto expense, right? There's mileage and there's actual expenses. And so um, the mileage is broken down between business mileage, commuting mileage, and personal mileage. And so like a lot of people, once they, you know, like they realize, like once they crunch the numbers, they realize that a lot of what they thought was business is actually commuting. So it actually is better off for them to take the actual. And so actual, what's the difference between yeah. business and commuting? So great question. Commuting mileage is when is when where you go to like the first like when you leave the house in the morning the first place of business that you go that's commuting and then all the places that you go in between are business and where you are at the end of the day to back home is commuting even if you own the business even if yeah huh okay yeah i I never and i get asked all the time hey mike you know i work out of the house now so when i roll out of bed and i walk from my bedroom to like my office in the house is that my commute (laughs) <laughs> and again, it's like, I think that's a great, I, I, I say like personally, like Mike, the individual is like, I think that's a commute, like yeah. makes sense for me. But again, the IRS will the say, IRS no, doesn't no. agree. Right. The IRS, you know, is ruining the party a lot of the times, but, um, well, that's, that's what they do. That's their MO. Though. Sorry, Wes, go ahead. No, I would say that that's the IRS's MO is, is, uh, to, to take all the fun out of it. Right. Right. Exactly. But you know, I, I think that the actual expense method is 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 a lot of times more more beneficial because if you have a vehicle, you know, you can take the business use of like the purchase price of the vehicle, like you know, whatever the business use percentage is, take the you know, if it, I mean, there are lots of vehicles that are being used 100% for business. You know, like if you sure. have 
if you have like some sort of like a, you know, service business and you know, you may have like a van that's strictly, you know, that's wrapped, you know, in the franchisor's logo and like that's a hundred percent for business. Um, and so like, you know, there's bonus depreciation on the vehicle. Um, you know, you can really get like a nice rate. If you're leasing the vehicle, you can write off the lease payments as an expense. So I, I, I prefer to go actual expense more than mileage. Like mileage is more, you know, is more, is usually better for like that, that sole proprietor, like, you know, traveling salesman, you know, like the one that's like uh, really like traveling everywhere all the time and stuff. And they have a lot of, they have a lot of business miles compared to commuting miles and stuff. But for the most part, for most businesses, um, uh, we're in agreement that, you know, it's, it's, it's more beneficial to go the actual expense method compared to the Can mileage, but there's like, uh, let's talk about some other stuff, right? So like yeah. retirement plan, like self-employed retirement plans, you, like if you're making all this money and you've written off, you know, written off the home office, you've written off the vehicle, you've written off this, you've written off that, you still got this profit, you know, that like you could you, like, whether it is a, a 401k or a SEP or a simple or a pension plan, like a cash balance plan, a defined benefit plan, you can put a, like, if you have a self-employed retirement plan, you have a lot more maximum contribution flexibility to put away and just like shovel away like massive amounts into your retirement plan each year just to you know just to bring your taxes down by making massive retirement plan contributions i have so many service professionals that make a lot of money and they just say they, they, they write off the home office they write off the vehicle they write off all the things that they would write off and they're still staring down this giant profit and like you know their free cash flow their cost of living their free cash flow allows them to just put like a huge chunk and that's what like into the retirement and that's what i was getting back to for s corporation what we were touching on earlier is the the savings and self-employment taxes like it, like it, like that's like like very strategic when you're operating with a profit between like fifty thousand and like a couple hundred thousand um and then like, but then anything over and above that it's like okay well you know I got to take this amount of salary anyways, and I'm already going to be maxed out of my social security anyways. Let me take more salary. Mm. And I know I'm going to be getting hit with that extra self-employment tax, but by taking more of that salary, it's going to allow me to make a bigger retirement plan contribution. And so, yeah, I know self-employment tax is 15.3% and I'm getting dinged on the 15.3%. But it caps. That's it's allow yeah, that's allowing me to put a dollar into my retirement plan and sheltering it from income tax, federal and state, depending on what state you're in. Yeah. You know, that can be between 30 and 40%. You know, so like a retirement plan. Another thing about being a business owner is there's a legitimate, like, like as I as I as I like to say, like you know, the the like the the legitimate family business, right? Like not the mafia, right? But like the <laughs> the, the the legitimate family business. Like so sure. many so many business owners can justify that their that their spouse is helping out with some then some sort of like admin or marketing capacity for the business, and they can justify giving the spouse like a fifteen or thirty thousand dollars salary, if not more. And mm -hmm. then you know, teenage kids. Like I mean, I know I was working. I was working at like age thirteen, um, and so like uh, um, you can justify you know, and and I guarantee you that kids these days, you know, that are you know fifteen, sixteen years old, you know, they know more about the social media marketing landscape than their 40, 50, 60 year old parents. Sure. Um, and, uh, and so like, you know, you can justify putting your kids on the, you can justify your kid doing some sort of admin or marketing, you know, and then, so now, you know, you could, if you put your spouse on the payroll, um, justifiably, you know, then now you have an extra head to make an extra 401k contribution. Now you can double up your 401k instead of putting away 20,500 for just you. If you're under age 50, now you can do it for your spouse too. that between the two of you, that's 41k. And then if your kid is taking a salary, now your kid, you give your kid, a, like, you know, justifiably a salary of like a part-time employee doing marketing admin stuff of $15,000. 
Now you're getting $15,000 that's reducing your income, picking up on your kids' taxes where they're only being subject to tax of like zero or 10%. And so, you know, you could even set up, you know, you can set up an IRA. Now you can put away some money in their IRA for them. They got some earned income. So the legitimate family business is something that opens up to you as a business owner that, you know, a lot of people are not fully taking advantage of that they could because they're a business owner you know, as opposed to like working their corporate job, you can't tell your corporate boss, like, Hey, can I give my, of my $200,000 salary? Can I give like fit, like 50 K of it to my kid? They're going to be like, what are you doing? You're fired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. It's, it's such a good point. And those are all, all great examples. Um, you know, of, of where, and I mean, I, as you're sitting there laying out some of these examples, like, you know, we're probably not capitalizing on some of these the way that we should now. I mean, my oldest kid just turned five. So that might, Maybe that's in a gray area. I don't know. Maybe we could justify so the, gray there, the gray area there is, you know, could you, could you, um, could you like have your five-year-old like, like dress up and like be part of like a photo shoot that's like used as like she's, marketing. She's material? done it. Yeah, she's done it. She's come and hung out at home shows. She's put out door hangers. Uh, you know, she carries gray stuff area. around. So it's a gray area, more, right? That's more gray area than it is black and white. Like yeah, that's not black. Like, oh, no, no, no. Five years old. Can't do it. Like if they're like, and you've got the, you know, like she's done it before you can, you know, I mean, they're like, you know, like to just make sure that all, like all, like, you know, the, all the documents, all, all the eyes dried teaser cross it can back up. I mean, I, I, they're like, they're, I, I see justification. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, there's, there's so many. And again, it all comes back to, you know, don't try to figure this all out yourself. You know, as you can hear Michael talking, this is complicated stuff. He spent so many years learning, you know, all of this inside and out so that he can advise his clients. You know, it's we've already talked about, right? As you're a business owner, especially if you're just starting your business, you're wearing a lot of hats. You've got a ton of things. You're not going to have time to sit down and, you know, do all the studying that it takes to become as knowledgeable as a, a CPA. Like, so don't try to figure it all out yourself and definitely don't put your head in the sand. And I think a lot of business owners do that. They just say, I don't understand it. It's complicated. I'm busy. I'll, I'll get to it at some point. Right. Uh, and they just put their head in the sand and the consequences can be dire in some cases. Right. I mean, it, it, it probably is a reason or at least a component of, of why, a lot of businesses ultimately don't make it right. And, and that leads me into another, another thing I wanted to ask you about, right? I mean, what, what advice do you have for business owners when it comes to being more proactive about preparing for paying their taxes? And I'll give you a little context, right? I can remember the first year that our household was completely, all of our income was, was, uh, income from our businesses, right? We had no W-2 income whatsoever into the house. And I remember getting a call from our CPA and he, you know, he, he works with a lot of business owners, a lot of people that have businesses much larger than us. Cause I can, I can just remember like how casual he was about it, but he was like, yeah, it looks like uh, you're going to need to give me a check for about $60,000. And he was just super casual. And I can remember being like, holy, sh I got to write a check for $60,000 for taxes. Right. Like Take we had, we had the money, but I wasn't like prepared for it. Right. I, I don't know what I was expecting now that I think back to it. I don't know. Was I expecting like 
20, I was probably expecting like half of that. Right. And I just didn't, I didn't know I wasn't prepared. I wasn't thinking strategically. I wasn't having these types of conversations with him. Like, Hey, you know, based on what you're seeing, what do you think our taxes are going to look like next year? What can we do to prepare for it? We had the money, but I also had plans for, you know, a good chunk of that money that ended up going to, to pay the tax bill for that year. So, I mean, what advice would you have for small business owners to not find themselves in that situation? Because I, I can imagine there's plenty of business owners that get that same call from their CPA and they don't have the money right. to pay yeah. it, right? And then there's interest and you get, get on a, you know, blacklist for the IRS and none yeah. of that is good. No, it's not. Uh, yeah, I mean, what like uh, it goes back to like first of all, like a big, a, a big, like a big part of my reply is you know it goes back to bookkeeping, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Don't, like 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 your bookkeeping should be something that's being perpetually updated throughout the year. So come January, February, you, your books are already like you know ready for like they're already like like updated from the prior year. So like you know that's not gonna be an issue for like filing last year it's like i gotta file taxes it's like oh my bookkeeping is not even done for the prior year so now you're spending the next like two or three months scrambling you don't even know you have no idea right so yeah. bookkeeping and and so a big so having your books perpetually updated throughout the year so come january february it's like okay i already know where my numbers are i'm looking at a profit of x y or z and all and like so for business like um like seven like the first quarter of each year and then an argument can be made like really like just January, February. Uh, and, and really that's only just because the IRS doesn't start like early in the bed. Um, like, at, but at the very most, you know, like three months out of the year in Q1, if not like one or two months should be focused on getting last year's taxes filed. Like the dialogue between the client and their CPA, any sort of dialogue, any sort of annual, like the amount of time that the planning for the current year and subsequent year because in that 75 percent if not like you know 85 percent of that dialogue is, is centered on you know current year then come january february of next year you already know what your tax is going to be you've already planned for it you, you know throughout the year you've done what you could do to like you know bring it from here down to here and so you're expecting it to be here you know there are certain things that you can only do while you're in the year yeah as opposed to like you know what like your own room doing so much like once the, the, the december 31st is already passed um, so if you're, if, if the dialogue with your CPA is, you know, if you were to like, uh, as a business owner, if you were to like, uh, if there was some way that you can measure all the conversations that you've had with your CPA in the current year, all right, what, how much of that was focused on talking about last year's taxes versus how much of it was current year and subsequent year planning, having that be like no, no less than 75, 25. Like, okay. you know, like not even 70, 30. It's like, because that means that if it's, if it's like 75% trying to get last year's filed and 25% or 0% talking about current year, then it's always going to be a surprise each year. Yeah. Like it, it's always, you're going to be in summer of 2022 finding out for the first time sticker shock, you owe 60 K on 2021's taxes. That's always going to be the case if you cannot get your bookkeeping right. And so just like, like the majority, and, and that's why I always like tell people, you know, it's like the, the services that my firm provides, you know, we are, you know, there's, there's the compliance and maintenance services like tax prep and bookkeeping, sales tax payroll. And that's, you know, one service, but it's the advisory services, 
you know, it's the advisory services, the CFO services, the, you know, the, the family office services, the advanced tax plan. Like, th like those those services are inherently more valuable than any sort of like fee to file taxes because the type of stuff that we're having in planning and these advisory conversations are resulting in strategies being implemented that are saving the client, you know, thousands, thousands of dollars, sometimes less, sometimes more, you know, but like that valuable advisory is what it's all about. And like, so that has to be happening for 75% or more of the time that you're talking to your CPA throughout the year. Yeah. Great answer. I, I like that. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, do you have a preference or, or a recommendation? Should you file for an extension, not file for an extension? Doesn't really matter. Um, what's, what's your advice or, or is it, is it really doesn't make a difference? Um, you know, I think that if, you know, if, if all goes according to plan, if, if you know, for, for that, everything is proactively being done throughout the year, there shouldn't be a need to file for an extension. The only time where there might be a need to file an extension. So if you have like a, um, a profit sharing contribution to the retirement plan could be made the subsequent year, as long as it's made before the tax return for the business is filed. Right. So depending on the current year cash flow, if cash flow is tight, you know, maybe you have to file an extension for your S corporate partnership on March 15th to get you to September 15th because you're going to have a lot of cash flow coming this summer and you can use that summer cash flow to fund the profit sharing for last year. You know, so that's an example of may, of why you may want to go on extension, but um, any other reason to go on extension for the most part is usually because, oh, we just can't get around to it. And if you can't get yeah. around to it again, like, and that's still happening, you know, yeah. but like if, if every, like, like for every, in the spirit of everything that we just talked about, if everything's going according to plan, there shouldn't be a need to go on extension. And if you're going to go on extension, that's fine, but just at least, you know, pay something in pay something in come extension time because an extension is only for time to file. It's not for pay. Like if you file an extension and you file your taxes in like August and you owe a balance due, then you're going to, you know, not only going to owe the tax, but then um, interest, interest. late payment penalty yeah. are accruing since April 15th. What you avoid right. by filing an extension is the failure to file penalty, which is the most severe penalty, but it, but it doesn't, it doesn't negate um, interest and failure to pay penalty. Right. Yeah. So, so we typically file for an extension and it's just a result of us not being prepared like back in year one, when we first had to file taxes as a business owner yeah. and, and our CPA is always, you know, given us at least like a ballpark amount, like, Hey, go ahead and write a check for this amount. And then once everything's kind of filed, then we will, you know, settle up, right. If you end up owing a little bit more or whatever, but he's like, you don't want, you know, all this interest and, and late fees piling there's up. There's different schools of, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. there's, there's different schools of thought on it, right? Because, uh, and, 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 and like, so, you know, I mean, like, uh, like I understand the other school of thought, which I respect and I totally get it. It's just like, and then there's this school of thought, well, does this increase your audit risk? Or it's like, well, I mean, I, like you can always get audited for any reason randomly, even if you're doing everything right. But there's also the school of thought of like, hey, you know what? I know that I'm going to owe 50 grand. I know that there's going to be some penalty tax on that, but man, do I hate paying the government. So I know I'm going to get tagged with it, but I'm just going to pay it in October. And, it, and I know it's, I, I filed for my extension. So I, so I avoided the, the late filing penalty, but I know that there's going to be late payment penalty and interest tacked onto it. But, you know, I'm using that money. Yeah. I'm using that money for the first 10 months of the year doing other stuff. And I budgeted, you know, I can like pull off of a, of a line of credit or whatever to pay it. Like I've got that money. I know I'm going to be 
dinged on this, but man, I hate paying the government. They're gonna yeah. be paying less. Well, no, that so I respect that school of thought, and there are a lot of people out there. As, and like what you said, Wes, is a really important. You like you got hit with the sixty k, and you weren't expecting it. Yeah. Like, if you're expecting it, and you're like, you then know you what, complain. I'm expecting that it's going to get tacked on or a little interest. Uh, you know, like like it, it may be like instead of sixty k, maybe it's like sixty three k. Right. But I'm ready. I'm ready for in October. Then, you know, as long and, as you're, it, it's what it, it, no surprises. Yeah. When you pay it. Exactly. I mean, we've done what you were saying before. I like, I'm trying to remember one year, one year we, you know, we filed an extension. I think I went ahead and paid something for state maybe, and then just let the interest for federal go. Cause I think if I'm remembering correctly, state, the interest was a lot higher than federal maybe at least where we are in, in North Carolina. State, yeah. yeah, we're in, we're in North Carolina. So I think, you know, our CPA had said, look, you want to go ahead and, and pay, you know, what you think you're going to owe for state because the interest can really add up on that. He's like the federal, you know, it, difference of a couple thousand bucks. And I was like, looking at it, I got 10 months. I got some things I want to do with this money. I'm also looking at my cash flow, knowing that, you know, I, I've got, a lot of cash flow that's going to come in between now and the next 10 months. Yeah. I'll eat the interest and hold on to this money for now, knowing that I can put it to work and I'm going to be in a much stronger cash position come, come October or whatever. But you know, the point is I, I like the way you said it, no surprises, be having these strategic conversations with your CPA. If you're spending all your time, you know, talking to your CPA, just trying to get caught up, then you know, you've got no hope at being strategic or, or proactive going forward. Um, man, this this is good stuff because I, I mean, these are a lot of these are questions I've personally had or have had or, you know, issues that I've run into. I know these are questions that are top of mind for other people that are out there considering getting into business for themselves. And, you know, Michael, you're just a wealth of information um there's so much more we'll have to have you on for round two at some point because there's so much more that we could get into and uh unpack and and just kind of learn from from your expertise um you know i want to i want to make sure that you have a chance to tell people you know where they can connect with you where they can learn more about your firm You've been fantastic, you know, folks that I work with that are exploring franchise opportunities. You've always been, you know, happy to do free consultations with them, answer questions, give them, you know, some advice on what business entity is going to make the most sense, et cetera. You know, like we talked about, given their circumstances. Um, so where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about your services? And if they did want to, you know, reach out and set up a consultation, how could they go about doing that? Absolutely, Wes. Thank you. I want to give a plug in for Wes's uh, video editing team because we might need them right here. So you could, uh, you know, visit my company's website right here, sportsreader.com. We'll put uh, it in the notes could, for sure. Yeah, you could. Uh, you can check me out on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn profile right here, Michael Ian Reader on LinkedIn. Send me a connection request. Uh, my, you can call me on my cell phone. You can call or text me on my. You know, so I got my my office number right here. Uh, 847-241-5800. We got my cell phone, 847-302-3397. You can text me there as well. Um, you'll see on, on, on our website, there's a way that you can schedule a Calendly. Um, I, I, we just started our YouTube channel, so that's going to be happening soon. There'll be a lot of content on the YouTube channel. Nice. Up. 
Nice. So, so yeah, there are, uh, uh, whether, you know, uh, send me an email, go to my website. It's, my email is michaelreader at sportsreader.com. And so email, phone, website, LinkedIn, uh, just reach out to me. I'm here to be of service to all of you. Would love to, you know, I'm all about the, the, the consultation calls, the, the intro complimentary consultation calls. You know, really, like, especially if you're buying a business out there and and uh, and, and you're working with, you know, a, a great franchise consultant like West Barefoot, you know, one of the best in the business. West, everyone that you refer to me, they just speak so highly of you. And so it's just so great to see, you know, someone like you in the franchise industry doing things right. You know, there, there are a lot of bad actors. Um, and there is a lot of, uh, you know, things going on, not only in this industry, but, under, you know, there, you got, like, you're one of the good ones, Wes. And so I, I'm really grateful to have you in my network. And so, but if you're a business buyer working with someone like a West Barefoot, you know, if, you, if you're a business buyer and you're not working with a franchise consultant, number one, you know, give West Barefoot a call, okay? And then when it comes to anything, entity structure, funding strategy, you know, I am here to provide value to you. So reach out to me. Um, so I'm here. Let's do it. And, um, you know, freedom, right? I mean, like the, the name of this podcast is Cat to Freedom. And uh, to me, you know, like this is my humble opinion. I think that a big part of being, you know, free, number one, I'm grateful to live in this country, best country on the face of the earth, no matter what anyone says. Um, and, uh, and, and being a business owner, being a business owner, it comes with its challenges. But I personally, as I would never, this is the lifestyle for me. I got to, I work hard, but the autonomy uh, so for me, I like making money just like the rest of us, but the, like, but I have the flexibility. I went to Europe to visit my in-laws for four and a half months, uh, you know, earlier uh, back in 2021. And yeah. uh, that, yeah. that's just one example of just like the, being a business owner to me, you know, like, cause if you're, if you're a corporate employee, if you're doing this or that, you know, um, uh, like you, like you can get laid off at any second. You could, uh, you know, you are running around making that corporation so much money for that for the big wigs, and, and and you're doing all the work, and, and you're getting paid crumbs. And so for me, like you know, being a business owner is you know a big part of, of being free. And so you know, uh, there are I I know like you know like uh, I, I can't guarantee just like Wes can't guarantee your success, but you know, being surrounded by people like Wes and myself can increase your chance. Of being successful in business and that's what it's all about so i would love to connect with you all and thank you less for having me on hey my pleasure man thanks a lot i know everyone listening is going to get a ton of value uh i learned a lot just in this conversation i learned something new every time i talk to you so really appreciate what you do thanks for making time to drop in here on the path to freedom podcast everyone go connect with michael check out his new youtube channel we'll post all your contact info, website, all that good stuff will be in the show notes to make it easy for people to find you. But appreciate what you're doing. Keep helping small business owners everywhere. Make sure they're not getting in trouble with the tax man and thinking strategically. And uh, appreciate everything you've done for me and the folks that I've connected you with. But we'll have you back on so we can do this again. Thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for dropping in to another episode here on the Path to Freedom podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, 
feel free to contact me at Wes at Path, the number two FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in. <laughs>